following is a presentation from your friends at Forcecast.net. It's the Forcecast. Home to the official podcast of the Force.net. I feel the Force. And RebelScum.com. You rebel scum. Here they come! This is the Forcecast Clone Wars Roundtable. You fought in the Clone Wars? Information, commentary, and discussion about Star Wars The Clone Wars. This is where the fun begins. In laser clickers! Now, the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Anakin, Rex, Cody, pull back! All troops, pull back! It's the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. I have a bad feeling about this. Begun. The Clone War has. Incoming! All batteries return fire. Go, go, go! <laughs> That's right, we're back with another edition of the Force Cast Clone Wars Roundtable. Really excited to talk about this episode. We have our all-stars with us on the panel this week for Ghosts of Mortis, episode 17 here in season three, wrapping up the Mortis trilogy. And like I said, we brought our all-stars out, starting with, of course, my good friend and yours, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yes, tonight we discuss the finale of possibly the most thought-provoking story Clone Wars has given us thus far. I'm talking about the ghosts of Mortis. Now, what did it all mean? Was it real or was it just a dream? And how do the metaphors presented in this three-episode arc relate to the Star Wars saga as we know it? I hope we get into all that tonight on the Clone Wars Roundtable. I do, too. I hope Paul Bateman can get his microphone under control as well. <laughs> hey, I'm not moving. Not me. Who not is guilty. it? Is that Newman? Oh, what are, you, what are you doing in there? Well, some, wait, 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 somebody was. I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> come on, there's four people on the call, and it <laughs> stationary. Mike is glued to the side of my head. Jimmy Mac, I'm not insane. Were you hearing that? Oh yeah, that was Paul. <laughs> that could have been me. Could have been really me. I don't know. I got a new headset, so maybe it's me. All right, all right new but, headset. Someone's got a new headset. All right, fine. You know what? Oh, I, I take it back, Paul. I should not. I should never make assumptions like that. Well, but, <laughs> it's nine times out of ten, it is me. So. Well, we're glad to have you. Yes, Paul Bateman from RalphMcCorry.com. You can find him on Twitter at PaulRMQ. Is there an underscore in there? I couldn't remember. Is there, no, it's just PaulRMQ. They're yeah, on the Twitter. And we also have our good buddy filmmaker, Kyle Newman. Kyle, welcome as always. I am so glad to be here tonight to talk about not just Ghost of Mortis, but the repercussions of the Ghosts of Mortis. The repercussions. Well, you know what? In all fairness, we should say right good off ones. the top. Reverberations. Yes, Tremors. Uh, we should start off by saying that, you know, Kyle, you and I, we had our own roundtable a few, a few nights ago on Saturday. You and I, we chatted on the phone, and uh, I wish we would have recorded it because we got really deep, man. My head was spinning. You blew my mind with some of your observations on this episode, and I can't wait. I hope you wrote them down. I, I said, please write these oh, down. I've got, I've got a four-page doc right here. <laughs> I'm sure you do. No. I, started my book, I started my book on, uh, on The Force. It's going to be officially sanctioned by Lucasfilm. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just making that up. Because oh. I have a lot of thoughts about this, and obviously – you know, I had to do a little research, too, and go back in history. And obviously, you know, one thing that was helpful was, you know, StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider did a lot of lead-up to these episodes. They really refreshed everybody's memory about the origins of things, the timing of things, and and how things really work. Because a lot of it gets, you know, reinterpreted or watered down with, 
with certain EU, and sometimes it's you know not a bad one. No, no, it never it's gets watered. You made Star Wars getting watered down and it, it misinterpreted by the expanded universe. It's not true. It doesn't it, happen. What happened? In this was Gio like put his hand down and said, "This is the way I'm looking at the Force. This is the yeah. way I view the Chosen One." And that's what what's great about these episodes is it's brought it back. Right. So if you're if you are a Star Wars fan and you're still complaining about 1997, who shot first? These episodes go to show you should be complaining. Say, "Hey, Gio, where is my Qui Gon Jinn deleted scene from Episode Three? Because now more than ever, that makes a lot of sense. That's what the real fans should be arguing about. Not, I want strings back on my size noodles. You should be saying, where is my <laughs> deleted scene from episode three? Where is it? Real fans get up start a campaign about that. All that's right. what people should ask for on the Blu-ray. So that's what, that's what, what the t-shirt should say. Not Han shot first. Is Where was Qui-Gon? Where it was Qui-Gon? Qui-Gon is the damn master of the force. <laughs> that's what it should say. You All right, we're gonna get gun. we're gonna get He's we're gonna get favorite. into it. We're gonna get into it. Let's tell you the tale of the tape. We are talking about season three, episode seventeen. That's the sixty-first episode in the Clone Wars series. Original air date for those of you listening to this in the future, February eleventh, two thousand eleven. And our fortune cookie: He who seeks to control fate shall never find peace. Very appropriate uh, for this episode. Written by Christian Taylor, as the uh, the other two were as well. This one directed by Stuart Lee. Um, let's get right into it. I've, I, have, I took copious notes. Um, the start off with the commentary. You know, a lot of us were, our, our heads were reeling after this episode. There was just so much. And so we look to StarWars.com, the episode guide, the commentary, Dave Filoni, to, to guide us through this. Dave promised at, at uh, Celebration that he would personally fly to the Palatial Forecast Studios to calm me down after I saw some of these episodes. I'm still waiting for Dave to show up on my door. The closest, thing, up, you the closest thing we have is the commentary, and I go, and it's about a couple of Sith Lords from the EU. And why now, they weren't there? Wait, wait, wait. Darth Bane. Now, what, what, for people who didn't watch the commentary, what Dave said was that there was a scene with Darth Bane and Darth Revan, and they even got so far as shooting it. It wasn't actually animated, but they did build the character models for these two characters, and it was George's idea. Then George decided, you know what? They shouldn't be in there because Sith Lords should not be able to come back as Force Ghosts. And so they drop the scene altogether. Now, Darth Bane, Jason, is he is steeped in G. Yeah, we had this conversation. George's yeah. Notes. Yeah. What movie was he at in, least, Jim? At least George's notes. What movie was he in? For one. <laughs> the novelization for episode one uh-huh. uh, does, does explain the whole Darth the Bane. The rule of two, right. Rule of two, yeah. et cetera. And that came, I remember reading that that came from GL's actual notes. So right. it's, there's okay. a certain degree. He has it right. You're, you're absolutely right. He has, Darth Bane certainly has his origins in, uh, in, in G-level canon. Uh, Darth Revan, not so much. But I guess my point was that we go to these commentaries for a little bit of insight. And it was, there was one good gem in there. And I'm sure Pablo Hidalgo, who runs that, he probably asked Dave lots of questions and uh, decided what, 
you know, was the most appropriate one to post on the website, and that's the one we got. And it was fine. There, like I said, there was one gem, but there was no real meat on the potato there about what the, the heaviness and all the implications, and like Kyle said, the ripples and all the aftershocks of this episode and what it means. It just was nowhere well, to be found. They've got you guys. They know that. <laughs> that's what I was so, that's right. Jason, nope. what was the one gem in Dave's commentary? The one gem in Dave's commentary for me was that dark side practitioners, dark Jedi, Sith, whatever you want to call them, they cannot maintain. According to GL, he threw down here after they had already done everything but animate this scene. It came down to the fact that they cannot maintain their individuality after death. They cannot reach out from the force a la Old Ben, a la Yoda a la Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi, and a la Qui-Gon Jinn, as we saw in this episode, or in this this trilogy. So I was really glad to see that definitively, as cool as that would have been. And look, guys... I know, before you write the emails, yes. Would that have been cool? Absolutely. It had been like right out of Dark Horse Comics because Dark Jedi have been reaching out from the netherworlds of the Force in Dark Horse Comics for years. But according to GL, that is not an ability of the dark side. And There's I was like really glad to see yellow pages it. for Dark Lords in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> you can just call all the spirits. There's thousands of them. Yeah, I think I, it started with XR Kun in the... Jedi Academy trilogy back when uh, Kevin J. Anderson was writing. I think he was the first Force Ghost, Sith Lord Force Ghost to come back. But does anybody remember back, what was episode one, and and GL was talking about how by the end of episode three, when the last movie of all six cycles made, you're going to understand why Obi-Wan Kenobi was able to will himself into a spirit form and disappear, and Yoda goes and turns into a spirit, but other Jedis do not. Like the Jedis in episode two... The, the mullet-wearing Jedis that run around that are named after sound engineers that die like a dime a dozen. They don't disappear, but the special ones do. He was going to explain that. Right. What's your problem with sound engineers with mullets? <laughs> my problem is The mullet nothing. will be back. Mark my words. They'll be back. My problem is nothing. It's just they don't disappear, and the other guys do. And I want a damn explanation. And I don't expect my explanation to come from the EU, and I want my Qui-Gon scene on my Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, all right, That's all right. That's it. So here's what – but what I think with this one, though, what you're talking about, though, is, Jason, I totally agree. I'm glad it didn't go there because the father, son, and the daughter – and we're going to get into this. They're not mortals in the, in the normal sense, nor should they be having spirits of mortals come back and talk to them and influence them like – the sun is a manifestation of the dark side. What does he need a lesser form coming back and influencing him? Yeah, I can yeah. see it with Anakin being visible. It just didn't make sense anyway. So I'm no. glad they threw that I, out. I am but too. I and you could, tell, is- you could tell in the commentary that Dave was also relieved. Yes. There and I, I, that had no point being in there. But what I wanted was a commentary that got into a little more. But that just leaves it open for us to talk about. Because what is awesome about Star Wars – I didn't expect these episodes to lay something out and give us answers. We have been talking about the nature of the Force for 35 years. We've been debating it. What are the parameters of it? How does it work? How are you in tune with it? How are different people phased into it? Like All the vast permutations of the Force that we've, we've seen on screen and in books, and we still don't have an answer. So I, I, I'm glad they didn't wrap this thing up with an answer at the end of three parts. Kyle just said exactly what I had written down for final thoughts, so 
<laughs> well, I'm just saying that's our starting spot. Let's just get the acting out of the way. The acting was great. Were the visuals great? Let's all agree. Say yay. The visuals were great. Let's just talk about the Force and Star Wars. Every week we know they're great. Let's just talk about what happens now with the Force. <laughs> Paul Bateman. That's, my, that's Paul, what I'm putting out here. Right, I said, let's right. do that. Kyle, <laughs> Kyle is throwing down already, Paul. And so, I, all right, let, let's let's. This let's is talk not a about normal it. episode. This is special. This is a special. <laughs> You're right. I, you know, I just said to Jimmy before the show started. I said because I had just watched the episode again right before we started, and I said, you know what? I, it's it's got to be my favorite episode so far. It just it has everything. Really? Yeah, really. I I I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Um. It's my favorite episode right now. You know, it's kind of like having a favorite, you know, Star Wars movies. What's your favorite right yeah. now? You know, um, today. Yeah, today. Exactly. And so today it's it's this one. Um, and I, I think because it has such great discussion topics and, and maybe it is better that they didn't wrap it up in a nice little bow for us. And there's uh, there's lots of stuff to talk about it. But Paul, was it as earth shattering as it was for uh, for Kyle and, and, and for me? Was it as <laughs> earth shattering for you? Okay, Carl's obviously really, really passionate about the force, you know, he really, really digs that. And, and so, so do I. I mean, but as much as anything, I just kind of was totally digging on the whole, you know, mythological aspects and the fact that they were kind of just going straight for the jugular with, with the whole kind of mythological side of it. And I don't, I don't think they've ever been this literal in terms of kind of like, right, here is a genuine kind of like Star Wars mythology within... Within the mythology, you know, Within yeah. Star Wars, within <laughs> right. mythology, yeah. Um, and I think that all, you know, all the notes that I sort of, you know, when I was thinking about this episode, everything that, I, that, that kind of occurred to me as being sort of significant did, did you know, connect up with, um, if not the Force, then definitely kind of the mythological aspects of it and what it might mean and all that kind of stuff. So I'd totally second what Carl's saying and say, yeah, I would say that was the way to go with this and just explore the... The, uh, that, that side of it would be the most important thing to me too. So, all right, I, I have to, I, I I didn't want to get into this until the end, but I'm so excited to talk about this idea because this is something that Kyle and I started talking about, and Kyle, you already alluded to it, and so I'm going to throw it out to to Jimmy Mack. Jimmy Mack, the son and the daughter, real or unreal? Real or unreal? Real there's, or unreal? There's a certain point of view here with, with, that, with that question. Um, now, do you mean real as in flesh and bone? Real people? Or do you mean real as, as, as real As real as the father or less real than the father? Corporeal in the sense that Obi-Wan, corporeal. Ahsoka, corporeal. Anakin, corporeal. I think the father is corporeal. The son and the daughter, real or no? Yes, they are real. Real. because they, Yes, because they had the ability to die. But did they? And do they? Do they die? Do they die in can what I, sense? Go ahead, Paul. Jason, can, yeah. can I interject? Yes, please. It's, it's the, thing, the thing that would occur to me about, about, about that question is... is does it matter either way? Because in the end, you know, whether or not these people were real, whether or not these events were real, whether or not it was an illusion all in Anakin's head or whether it was something that was placed there or, or however you could possibly look at it, in the end, the end result is the same. They thought it was real. They had a very real experience. And so the only thing that really matters is what they take away with them 
having left this realm, whether it's real or unreal. Well, I don't and, discount and the that. Is the same. I mean, whether it's a real yeah. place or it's an unreal well, I, place, they, I, it I don't discount. I totally agree, Paul. And I think there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that were online were like, "Well, they erased his memories, so what's the point?" The point was that, <laughs> in one sense, Anakin left this experience with a weight on his shoulders. He left with the verification that he is the chosen one. He didn't need to see his destiny to know that something transpired. You know, when you say like. You do not want, like, oh, you're friends with that person? Oh, I won't say anything then. You know then your mind goes to the thing, oh, wait, what do they know about that person that I don't know? <laughs> Anakin's left with that in the back of his head. What did they erase out of my head that was so bad? It doesn't matter what he experienced. He's left with that. There's a weight on his shoulders. Also, the definitive weight that he is the chosen one. What this episode also did was absolutely confirm that Anakin is of, is of a virgin birth. That's another thing we we got to get into later. Uh, okay, all right, all right, okay, all right, 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 right. Well, I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Jason, reality. You're talking about yeah. the father. I brought to Jason. I said, what I would think would have been the ultimate version of this story is if you found out at the end that the father was just one. He stood alone and he was battling with two sides of himself. And I think, but I, mean, I think there's evidence, Kyle, to support this. There I is, really but they do. didn't fully go there, and the more I watch it, I don't think it is, and I think that would it makes it could have went from a nine as to soon, a ten. Within, if there was a microcosm within a microcosm of this larger story, you know, a whole other dimension to it, and a twist like that, I still love these episodes. But I thought that would have been really cool if you found out that the father was grappling with these two sides of himself. He's a pure gray character. He's not of the light by standing there in, in episode one saying, one, of, one must die, pick. He's not of the light when he's so ruthless that he's allowing you know, Anakin to stab mm. right through his son. But in a way, they could have played that, that that was the father. The only way was forcing Anakin to almost kill him to, in a sense, take over the role of bringing balance to the Force, not only on this planet and in this family, but on a galactic but, scale. And he does that. But I think, hold on, hold on. I, I think, Kyle, that there is actually <laughs> evidence to support this. And um, you'll notice in the scene where um, the father confronts Anakin um, after the, the son, quote unquote, leaves uh, to go take care of business. They never really say what he's got. He wants to go uh, get the, uh, the dagger of Mortis. The father is there instantaneously. Instantaneously. I mean, the, the, the son's gone, and immediately there's the father, and he confronts Anakin. Um, there's that moment. There's also the moment that the father kills the son by running the dagger of Mortis into himself. And then Anakin, to finish the job, runs them both through. I right. think. I, I think, think the only way to kill the son is to kill the father. The father knew that. He had to sacrifice himself because I think both of these characters, the son and the daughter, total outward manifestations of his own inner thinking and his own demons. I, I Look, I know this is the theory I'm throwing out there, but I'm kind of almost shooting it down myself because I think we're, we know Star Wars to be a little bit more literal and visual, and if they were doing that, I think there would have been a different visual payoff. But I do like the idea that the father is the only real creature on this planet. He's been in exile so long that his psyche exists in this form. There's this duality. He's got the one on one shoulder and, and the, you know, the light on one and the demon on the other, it's, and he's kind of crazy, and he's debating with himself, and he's brought Anakin here to have this debate, and it's a very Star Trek type thing. He's the one who keeps Anakin there, but he justifies that act as the son. You know what I mean? So he's acting in these forms, but he is pure gray. He is both. He's not of the light. He is of the balance. Um, and 
what I also thought was interesting, you know, so we know Father's real because he's the one mentioning temple life. I mean, he's older than Yoda. He's older than twice as old as Yoda, and he's wise enough to have known that he needed self-exile for the type of power he has. And he also said, you know, it was, it was and Jave also said in one of the commentaries that it was a very conscious thing that Father disappears while the others do not. Yeah, because um, be, because well, he's realizes that there's a standout moment where it's basically I, I would agree with all of this if if we only ever saw it from the from the point of view of Ben, Anakin, and, and Ahsoka, but we don't. I there agree. are moments That's in why the I'm story where, down. yeah, where you just see you just see the, the father. I'm just saying. I'm just saying it would have made it that much better if they went there. Yeah. It would have made it that much more interesting because the hardest part for me was accepting that there is this guy who looks like the bassist for like Godhead, who's the representation <laughs> of the dark side. Yet at the same time, they're saying, "Father is like, I wish I could prevent my son, who is a representation of the dark side, from going to the dark side." <laughs> yeah. So there was like those little like things that were off. But beyond that, I look at the big picture. Is is there room in Star Wars for this type of story? This is one of those unlearn what you have learned type episodes that we need to be grateful for because the vast universe of Star Wars, in my eyes, just got way bigger, and I feel way better about it. And it, the universe almost feels more real. Like how mm. can you not buy into this knowing what we know about the Force? The, and I have issues thing- with things like the Force Unleashed because that's still in the mortal Jedi realm of physical and, yeah. and of Jedi history. This is somewhere outside of that, which I loved. The, the thing that gets me, the, I mean, the, the thing that I noticed about the last sort of two uh, roundtables about the, the previous two episodes as well was that the, there seemed to be a kind of common common um, opinion that Vader brought balance to the to, to the whole situation, you know, in Return of the Jedi. But in my, in my point of view, that's that's not what he did. What he did was he helped the good guy win, which is not about balance because the good guys are, are on top. Balance is either in in the middle of the conflict or between conflict, but nobody's got the upside. So I wouldn't have said that Vader even brought balance. I think he just swung the pendulum the other way. Well, no, because I mean, what the what the Jedi do is let the Force flow through them, and it's not necessarily an imbalance. Um, you know, it's and Luke is basically by the end is basically he is a manifestation of Qui-Gon's living force by the way he handled everything is the way, well, I have to get into all this later, but the dark side is what the emperor is harnessing and he's manipulating, you know, that is what he had to undo. Um, Paul, I got to, Paul, I have to respectfully disagree here. Um, I think, I think, (laughs) I I think you're wrong. I think that Vader does exactly that. I mean, Qui-Gon says when Anakin asks, am I the chosen one? When to to Qui Gon, uh, he says, "I'll tell you what I do know: that you will bring balance. You will face your demons and save the universe, and that's exactly what he does." In yeah. Return of the he Jedi, he eliminates the light and the dark, leaving just Luke, who is a little bit of both. And isn't that what is the I essence think? of the Force? If you look I'm not at sure. the symbols, I thought he was he was the he was kind of pretty wholesome. I would have said, "Yeah, wouldn't fight." Etc. You know, I would have said he was, the good guys get the upper hand, and he was he was mostly of the light, but he did yeah. have a bit of the dark in him. Look at the, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, there's just so so much evidence there to point at it. If you notice the symbols that they used in this episode to represent the light daughter and the dark son, both those symbols contain the other symbol within it, in a, yeah. a very small version of it, right in the center. Which Ooh. to me means that within the dark, 
there's always a little bit of light, and within the light, there's always a little bit of the dark. It was, in, is, it was visually in every single thing, on the tombs, on their yeah. iconography. But I'm going to say light. Luke is of the light, but Luke is not – if you end Return of the Jedi, you do not say, wow, okay, Luke is going to now exert himself onto the universe in a way that imbalances it light. He's just brought an order back to things. Luke is not yeah. going to go you know the dark side will impose itself on a situation whereas yeah, that's one Luke yeah. is not going to do anything <clears throat> in a selfish way that's kind of imbalancing the universe. So I think, I think it was coming at from from the from the round tables rather than from what you see in the movies. You know that's where it was coming from was just that the good yeah, guys yeah, winning yeah. is hand in hand with the achieving balance, you know. All right, well but, Jimmy uh, Mac I, I think I, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we, we've got so much to cover in this, and and I owe Jimmy Mack an apology. <laughs> I have to, Jim. Do you know what I'm going to apologize to you about? No. Qui Gon. I have. Yeah. <laughs> Qui Gon. So many things. Qui- yeah. <laughs> no, Qui Gon Jin. You're absolutely right. You were there from the beginning, saying this was undoubtedly the Force Ghost, the real Force Ghost of Qui Gon. I think after this in episode, uh, it, it it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And you know what? It was so good, I don't even care. I don't even care if they need, if they need to retcon this or don't retcon this with Revenge of the Sith <laughs> because it was just so good. In fact, it, it was better than Revenge it. of the Sith. It was better than Revenge of the Sith. Anakin's wow. fall Anakin's <laughs> fall in this episode, in this 22-minute episode, made more sense than his two-and-a-half-hour fall in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Jason, as much as I appreciate your apology, I don't think it's necessary because um, it's easy to jump to conclusions before these story arcs get wrapped up. And we see a lot of that going on in our forums, on our Facebook, and the emails that get sent to us. I always try to step back and say, let's wait and see how it all plays out. I just felt in my gut that the evidence was pointing to Qui-Gon coming from the spectral realm. And, you know, this was neither confirmed nor denied in the episode. It's all left open to interpretation. So, Jason, I want to know what was the moment that swayed you? Obviously, it was when Qui-Gon appeared to Anakin. But was it something he said or it was real, really Well, it was, the way, it was the way that the father set it up by saying, you know, you need to go to this place where darkness has no hold. So there cannot be anything there but purity. And the pure you know, uh, unfiltered power of the principle of the living force. And there's nobody that embodies that better than Qui-Gon Jinn. And for that, for, for that, for it to not be actually be him would be so lame and so silly and so stupid. I mean, it just, it has to be him because it was so beautiful the way it played out and the reunion. It's absolutely him. It's they absolutely made that dramatically him. clear in the writing. He said, you need to go to this place where the dark side, yeah, like he has no hold and then see what happens. And Qui-Gon shows up and I mean, his teachings right here, what he impresses upon him is a metaphor for the whole thing, the whole saga, everything right there for the living force, his whole theory of life. Anakin had to go with the sun to the dark side. He may not have known this, Qui-Gon, but he knew there was more than two choices for Anakin in this situation and that the Force would be Anakin's guide. So Anakin's staying there saying, do I leave or do I go kill him? And he's saying, basically, I don't know, but, but there is another choice and let the Force be your guide. And that's been Qui-Gon's message in episode one. And it was his message really through sticking with it through everything. And that's what Yoda and Anakin and Obi-Wan take faith in going into 
the original trilogy is knowing that the time right. will come and things will play themselves. It's putting your right. faith in the living force. That's what Qui-Gon did, and he asked Anakin to do that in this sequence. It's a metaphorical going to the dark side and then a return to grace so he can defeat the sun. And the Paratels, re- you know, they return, you know, the return to grace in Jedi and defeating the dark side. And this was a lesson in the living force. Like Qui-Gon knew this third path, this unknown path would lead to Anakin's destiny. Anakin puts his faith in it. Qui-Gon, he put all his faith in his philosophy. And we know too from earlier on that there's these force wielders have a philosophy that's similar, a prophecy that they interpreted slightly different. And everyone does. Everyone misinterpreted this prophecy, by the way. Um, so period. If you go to the dark side, you know, but you, you, Anakin might go to the dark side, but he will end up bringing balance to the force. That's okay. In Qui-Gon's world, that might be a misstep, you know, the step backwards that gets you two steps forward. He even says, literally, you must go, what does he say? You go to the dark side cave? I mean, take out the word cave, and he's saying go to the dark side. The well. Yeah, it's the well. The well. You mm-hmm. must go to the well of the dark side. He's literally saying, go to the dark side. Um, and you know what? It's like, what I saw in this was Anakin made this choice when he goes down there out of logic. And he's presented with a, an opportunity... Go ahead and tend to your dogs. It's all right. It's all right. Go ahead and Sorry, tend to your dogs. Pre- it's fine. He's, he's presented <laughs> with this opportunity down there, and in a way, he's never presented with it in uh, Revenge of the Sith. And he's presented with an opportunity of logic to do what's right. Um, hmm. I apologize. My dog is, is going wild. I think, um, I think there's force ghosts at Kyle's house. They're freaking out but the here's dogs. what he does. Both, <laughs> both his choices in to go to the dark side and to return from it are out of love. And that's what this situation did not afford him. So he had to go through this microcosm of a situation, this metaphorical situation, to get to this point where he would emerge from it, have his memory wiped, and then be in a place where he could then make the galaxy-wide decision out of love, not logic. And that's why... Again, Qui-Gon's theory ultimately pushed him in this correct direction, knowing that what choice he made now wouldn't necessarily be the final choice, that there would be a greater choice. And that's why he's warned of his heart in the dying breath of, by the dying breath of father, um, knowing that it would be – he was challenged in this logic way, and now it's going to be out of this, this love way. And the love is also what Qui-Gon says in Revenge of the Sith in the novel is what brings you back from the dead. Um, you know that's what the Sith would never understand, um, which I th- I just thought that was really interesting. So everything that Qui-Gon yeah. does, it all ties into everything his well, living force theory. The, right, no, exactly. The will. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. <clears throat> well, uh, I know I know um, GL. You know, read read a, a fair bit of Carlos Castaneda um, way back when he was kind of coming up with all these various different ideas. And and what this that's you know all those scenes remind me of was. Um, Tales of Power by Carlos Castaneda, and there's a scene in that where there's a, basically the, the the central character is being sort of trained by a Hopi Indian wise man, um, and and he basically sort of says to him that his problem, uh, you know, the guy who's come to see him is that he's a genius, and what he means by that is basically that um, that knowledge can sometimes be a dangerous thing because you can always think that you're right if you're smart enough to justify your position. Um, no matter what it is. And I think that Anakin's kind of got that problem in that all, all he needs is the slightest reason and that's it. You know, he kind of clings to it and, and follows it forward. And I think, I think that, um, like you say, Jason, I think that this is a far more sort of sensible explanation for why Anakin would, would turn to the dark side than, uh, pardon me, being a little bit 
ill, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, a boy, yeah. even even as a, as a remembrance or a sort of a ghost of a remembrance in the back of his head, yeah. you know, it kind of feels to me as though that like maybe somewhere in, in Anakin's back brain there's a part of him that kind of thinks, yeah, this is totally justified going in this direction. And it, it just makes complete sense to him. He because, doesn't have a choice. Know, he does not feel yeah. that he has a choice here. He, uh, at this moment, and he says, he says... I, this is during the sequence, you know, I call it the gift uh, when the sh- when the son shows him his future. He says, know yourself. The, what we find out from the father is that he's actually breaking the laws of time, which I thought this was interesting. This was no illusion. Yeah. This was the son taking Anakin in literally into the future uh, to witness these events. He says, I will do such terrible things. He says, yes, but you don't have to. We, we will destroy this emperor you see and then anakin looks and says will we bring peace and he says of course you know so it's 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 it for for whatever reason that sequence to me seemed much more plausible and and gave me a lot more sympathy for anakin's fall than i felt in the film um because he's doing it to avoid what he just saw but jimmy jimmy mac jimmy mac in the beginning, we see the father talking to Anakin, I believe, saying that he's an old fool who believed he could control the future by installing Anakin basically as his replacement. And he realizes that in tampering with the future, and in this case, we're talking about the future of Mortis, this realm, uh, he caused irreconcilable harm uh irreversible damage the daughter is dead um or in my view his light side is dead um he says that um that uh uh shoot hold on a second i just had this and i lost it um so it becomes about the future and controlling the future and he says to Obi-Wan, the father, he says, the will of the force will take shape. And I mean, Qui-Gon or, or Obi-Wan points out right away that, hey, you're the one that brought us here. And now you're telling us, telling me that I can't interfere in this. But it's that he learned this lesson. Now we also know that Qui-Gon believes that he's going to have to chart this path. And then at the end, we, the father removes the memory of this experience by Anakin so that he cannot act upon this knowledge. So I guess my question is, does, is all of this about getting Anakin to the place he is at the end of Return of the Jedi so that he can bring balance? Is that what this whole thing is about? He has to go through this trial and get to that spot with his son being, uh, you know, force electrocuted by... By Palpatine, does it all? Is it all about getting him to that moment? Well, I think this the the story arc is is more based in metaphor than it actually is part of the general Star Wars timeline. Does this propel Anakin toward his destiny? Probably not. I mean, his destiny was already predetermined. If you believe everything you believe about Star Wars and the Force, what? The purpose of this Mortis trilogy is is to more or less give us 
something of a definition of what the balance is and how Anakin's role plays in achieving that balance. I don't think that anything in this episode really pushes him in the direction he's supposed to go in. On the contrary, what it does is try to teach him a lesson that he cannot control his own fate because every time he tries to do so, something terrible happens, something steeped in the dark side. And it's all based in his own fears to begin with. But don't you think that is a big deal though, Jimmy? Don't you think that that recognition of that concept that he can't hide from his fate, don't you think that is a gigantic thing that he now carries with him that does, in effect, change the trajectory of his life? Well, very true. So. Very true. I mean, that's, to me, that this is, this is everything right here. This is a confirmation that he is the chosen one, that yeah, he is yeah. a virgin birth. Is he born? He's obviously not like who knows where, fa- where son and daughter came from. That's not like you know. There's no Shmi in that guy's world that we know of. It maybe mother is the force itself. Who knows? But how were they born? But we know that Anakin came from some. It's definitive now from some type of force manipulation, from some type of force anomaly, or or who knows whether Palpatine or Plagueis or whoever um, had an effect on him being born as a force baby, he is that. And that's right. what father brought him here to test this and left with the confirmation. Not only did he do that, he wiped the slate clean with this family of force wielders. And he is literally, he did replace father as the one, the universal balance. And now he's left the confines of this, you know, diamond Borg structure. And he's gone back into the world knowing that he has this tremendous weight on his shoulder and he is the balancer. There's no more just, oh, I'm a Jedi and I'm, I'm a troubled youth and, yeah, I murdered a whole bunch of Tuscans and the Jedi invited me back because there was nowhere else for me. He is a guy with the weight of the whole universe on his shoulder. He cannot run so away he- from his destiny. So that's why none of this really you know, comes into play with what his ultimate fate actually is. It's going to happen no matter how he tries to go about doing things because his dark side – tendencies are all based in his own fear if you're looking for specific character development within this trilogy itself yes in the first episode he denounced the 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 prophecy of the chosen one as a fable he did not believe in it now this episode ghost of mortis begins he's clearly carrying the weight on his shoulders at that point i don't know because he had to go and confront the father he couldn't leave without seeing the father first because he said that was a weight that he'd have to carry around with him. So, so there is character development going on there. But do the events that happen in this episode actually come into play when you talk about Anakin's future? I think the future was already set in stone. Nothing Before is set in stone. The father, wait a minute. The father says nothing is set in stone. Well, if Luke could go either way, then so could Anakin. And here's what I think. The father, this episode, he's going to leave from this. I, I bet the, the Anakin we're going to see is going to be much more in line with Revenge of the Sith. He's going to be a lot more somber, and he's going to be – there's a maturity that's now asked of him. He can't just shake it off and go, oh, I just want to go fix my speeder bike. He's got real-world issues. Yes, he's also in love with someone. And he's got a baby on the way or two, but he is somebody with real definitive weight on his shoulder. Now he knows that everything Qui-Gon – Qui-Gon's entire thing was putting faith in this boy. 
um, asking everyone to do so and at his own peril. Um, on, on, the first thing Qui-Gon asks when he shows up is, did you train the boy? He doesn't ask, how are you doing? It's the first thing he asks, did you train the boy? That's the only thing that matters in the universe of Star Wars is Anakin. It's all about Anakin. I'd be Everything more specific the about the you know the the, the moment when he um, you know when he when he's tested on the on the yin yang symbol and they're, they're sort of basically sort of trying to find out if he can control the griffin and the bat and uh, when he manages to successfully control them both and, and get them on their knees to me you know that felt like rather than kind of balancing things in a, in a kind of like a, maybe a way that Luke would have he, he very definitely dominated the situation and kind of controlled them and you kind of I kind of felt like if that if that was you know in some way a remembrance left behind in his subconscious then I mean what that tells us is that Anakin has learned a lesson that's quite important to him uh, that could be quite you know significant in him turning out the way that he does in 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 as much as what it tells him is you can dominate the good and the bad and make the situation better by domination you know and that's kind of what Vader turns into isn't it I mean that's that's what he becomes. He's all about domination. So if, if you know, somewhere in his subconscious, he thinks he's about hey, control. He's really about well, he, he's you, about control. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the most. That's one of the things that I think a lot of people miss about Vader because he's just this iconic villain. But he's all about control. And in those and all those seeds are 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 sown in Episode Two when he's telling Padme about his ideal form of government. Exactly. Well, you know, yeah. if people can't get their heads together and decide what's right, then they should be made to. But this was an important detour on it. And it look, obviously everything still works without this. But this is why this show is going into great territory right now. That's why they're so profound. I thought Yoda wrote these episodes. I had to double check because they were pretty damn profound. <laughs> they're really going and challenging what we know, but in a way that you can still go watch those movies and they still work without this. But we know now that there's a complexity to this, that – Anakin, there is an awareness to who he is, and he is going to probably go home and sit around like, I, really? I, who, it's, the big question is not, is he the chosen one? That's been answered now. The big question for me that's left in the Star Wars universe is how is he the chosen one? The films totally work without the series, but what we've got here is an opportunity for George to add complexity to it and depth and detail. We know now that Anakin is this virgin birth. We've, this validates what Shmi tells Qui-Gon in, you know, episode one. But the big question now is not, you know, is he the chosen one? That's been answered. But how is he the chosen one? Who made him? Is it force manipulation? Is it, um, is it something natural, you know, byproduct of the force itself? That they, that the force itself will him into being. That's the really big question right now. That I think that's outstanding in the Star Wars universe. So. It's kind of what they already implied is now answered, but we just are going to see dramatically this series is able to go somewhere a little more serious and dark because we've now put some serious weight onto Anakin. You know, there's actual uh, responsibility. You know, so there's that extra concrete weight on his shoulder going into the rest of the series and episode three. Um, and and w- what I think, you know, of course there's something greater in the vast Star Wars universe than Jedi. If the Jedi knew everything, there'd be no conflict in the universe. Both sides, the Jedi and the Sith, in my opinion, they misinterpreted what this philosophy, this prophecy was. And the Father showed us this, but even him, he grapples to comprehend it all. And you have 2,000 years of – the signal is over 2,000 years old that is sent out. It, 
the writers consciously didn't say it was a new Jedi distress code. It's a 2,000-year-old one, which also is implying dramatically that the father at least was in contact with them. The father, you know what I'm saying? The father had to have some type of association with the known world of the Jedi because he's using a Jedi distress code and he's choosing one that's 2,000 years old. So I think yeah, he's, he's in exile. He's in self-imposed exile. Self-exile. But he is, he is conscious of the same prophecy though because he even had they you know in part one and the end of overlords he talks about his own interpretation of the of the prophecy um did you guys catch that at the end he says you were the one that was supposed to replace him that was his interpretation of what that meant so within the force wielder community if it's just his family or if there's more of them there was supposed to be somebody who would come and usurp his position um either i guess by conflict or organically but this was the person. He was brought there to do that, and Father knew he was at the end of his time. And that was his interpretation of it. So what I loved about it is we just know that even though these people are the, the gods of our universe and the heroes of our universe, and they're the Jedis and the Sith, and they're more attuned than the average person, even they are still humbled by the Force and its mysteries, and there's, it's bigger than them. Like I think a lot of people, the talk back I'm reading, they're like, well, you have people that can do this and people – of course it's a huge, vast universe. And of course they can do that because yeah. this episode, in my opinion, it existed outside of literal yeah. time. It happened in an instant, I, in a flash. How, how, how many more – I mean because I, I was ticking boxes at the start of the first episode kind of going. There are like 20 like just really clean, clear signposts saying, hey, we're not in the real universe. Because, you know, despite the fact that obviously Star Wars doesn't necessarily kind of adhere to uh, the physical laws of our universe, it has its own kind of inbuilt, you know, uh, rights and wrongs and stuff that it does and stuff that it doesn't do. And, and you know, the whole stuff right at the very start, the very first part of this trilogy where it's, you know, there's no sign of you on a scanners, yet they're there. The life support's dead, but there's not a problem. Nobody landed the shuttle, yet they did. They couldn't figure out where, where they, whether they're in in their own galaxy. The fact that there are floating rocks and there isn't another planet that has free, you know floating rocks. <laughs> the fact that they're, they're, they're forbidden to touch the character. I mean, when has that ever encountered? Plants live and die. The ability to hold a saber in your hand. The fact that the trees can kind of die and come back to life. There's millions of reasons that just kind of say, look, you're not in the regular universe. So to me, it was completely unsurprising when you know they, they kind of all awoke on the shuttle. And that doesn't make it any less real to me because in, in mythology, you know, the spirit realm... Is every bit as real as the as the as the real world in terms of you know characters can die there you know um, stuff that happens there is as significant as it is in the real world but you just need to treat it as outside of the the regular uni- universe but kind of overlapping so you know I don't have a problem with this at all I think it's perfectly in keeping with all the stuff that Star Wars is kind of inspired by anyway. Um, yeah, I, I want to go. I want to go back to this idea of of. Of fate and Jimmy, you you seem pretty adamant that what what the Star Wars universe tells us is that you cannot control fate. You are predestined, preordained, and it's set in stone. And that's I don't that's see the that way at it all. Is. I don't agree. With but, but, but that seems to be what, what Jim. I don't want to misinterpret you. Is that what you were saying? I'm just saying that the more you try to change things, the worse things are going to get for you. Where do you get that from, Star Wars? I don't see that at all. Well, I mean, let's just uh, look at the evidence here, even starting with the fortune cookie for this very episode. He who seeks to control fate shall never find peace. Never find peace. So the, the, yeah. the, fe- the fear of what the future will bring you is clearly 
clearly the path to the dark side. And what, what does the dark side promote more than anything? Lack of peace. You know, they all say things are going to happen under the guise of peace, but it just seems like the more that any of the characters from the Emperor to Anakin to Luke, the more they try to control things to create peace, they end up doing just the opposite. That's the dark side. And that's why you can't control your fate. You have to let things play out the way they're supposed to play out. You can't try to screw with things. Because it's just... Promotes. At the same time, you know, if, if you look at but Luke's it, situation, you know, if, if if that was the case, then he would have just gone, "Yeah, you're right, Emperor. Yeah, fine, okay, no problem. I'll fight you." You know. Yeah, I don't know. That, I don't know if I agree that, that that you know that it's not the Jedi way or it's not the appropriate way to just maintain the status quo. I mean, is that really what the Jedi are doing? Yeah, they're peacekeepers. <laughs> Again, there's that word, peace. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, they're, keepers they're of not, the peace slash keepers of the status quo. Essentially, essentially, because they get complacent. They believe in the light side of the force so much that it makes them mm. complacent and thus yeah. makes them vulnerable to dark side manipulations. So you don't think when when Vader chucks Palpatine down the uh, down the chute there at the end of Return of the Jedi that he's not making a choice. He is making a choice, but. But it's his fate. It's his, it was his fate to to bring balance to the force. I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. But the only way, the only way that the father has to make sure that that happens. See, the father learned his lesson. The father was trying to tinker with things and try to control things and make this, uh, you know, hur- hurry this thing up, this prophecy by luring Anakin there and then testing he's him, et cetera. Broken hearted. Right, right. He screws it up, but he knows the only way to make sure that Anakin does fulfill the prophecy is to make sure that he is in position where we see him at the end of Return of the Jedi, and he's not going to get there if he turns to the dark side and goes and destroys the Emperor with the sun. Yeah, well, I can't agree with that because the father wanted to keep Anakin on Mortis where he would just have stayed there. Do you want to know why this episode is important? Because at the point in Return of the Jedi, when he's in the Emperor's throne room and he has to make a choice, he's not just making a choice as Anakin Skywalker. He's making a choice as someone who he's conscious of. He knows he is the chosen one. So that's why this is important. Because he knows that there is a greater weight on what he does right there. He's not just a guy making a decision based on anything else. Yes, and he does it out of the instant of love. But... In the back of his head, he knows that everything hinges on him. And that is what's confirmed by these episodes. That's the secret revealed. This is why you got the title for this entire season. That's why Dave was smiling at all the cons this year. Because he was so excited (laughs) that we were going to get something like this. And I know people are going to have their debates over it. And how does it exactly fit in and tie in? And will Obi-Wan, he flicked his hair with his right hand. And in this episode, he did his left. (laughs) You know what? In that reaction that Obi-Wan has in that ship, it totally fits in line with this. Go watch it again. All it is is surprise when Yoda brings it up. But Qui-Gon is a character, too. When you think about it, everyone's like, well, it can't really be Qui-Gon. Because Qui-Gon, when you see Qui-Gon, he says, did you train the boy? Well, Qui-Gon's not sitting there in the fresher every time Anakin goes to the bathroom. Qui-Gon doesn't know what he's doing. The only reason we know that Qui-Gon is even able to sense what happens is because Anakin does an atrocity, a, a huge act of 
a, a criminal act on a force level where he murders an entire tribe of people, women and children. And that's why Qui-Gon screams because it's a reverberation. It's much the same way as when Alderaan explodes. He's not just sitting there watching Anakin through his Jedi training every step of the way. But the first thing he does when he comes back is he says, did you train him? It's all he cares about. It's full belief in the living force and in the prophecy. And that's why Qui-Gon's awesome. I would hate to sort of like find that, you know, the sort of Star Wars community just bangs on forever about whether or not this is real. Because for me, it's completely irrelevant. I think in the end, what it boils down to is I think that people should just be taking, you know, the impact of this story on the characters as being real. And whether or not, you know, any of these characters were real or the events actually happened is completely irrelevant. So there's no point in debating it. I think it's fun to, but I think, you know. <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, if people are going to kind of explore this, it'd be really nice if people just kind of focus on, you know, on, on where it leaves us rather than kind of, you know, uh, obsessing about, you know, w- were they real? Was that person real? You know? Right. I think that's my point is where it does leave us is this mm. ultimate spot where Anakin is now cognizant. It's been validified by this crazy encounter on the planet of Mortis that he is a balancer of the force. He's experienced it. He's seen it. And he has this weight of that role on his shoulder. And that will affect him through the rest of his life all the way up to when he makes the decision to sacrifice himself and to save his son and balance the force in Return of the Jedi. Did you, that, you guys notice on a, on a totally shallow note, did you guys notice that there were a couple of shots where you saw Anakin, you know, silhouetted against two moons? And, and it was kind of strange because it was like the anti-Luke. Yes, I did notice that. Yes, I saw that. And I didn't put the connection of the anti-Luke, but I was like, yeah, there's twin moons like uh, the twin suns on Tatooine. Yeah, I noticed that. That was very cool. There was a lot of there was a lot of trippy stuff. There was the visions within the visions. It was like they're taking drugs within their drugs. Like <laughs> the Clone Wars staff was probably dropping acid. See, you know what, guys? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I gotta. I have to. I have to. I have to really respectfully disagree with with the panel here because um, I I don't believe that this was all a vision. I don't believe that. I believe that. Mortis was a corporeal place. I believe that Father was a corporeal being. If he wasn't, why would he disappear? No, I totally agree with you. This it, I agree. This with was point. real. This was real. It. But if you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. But I also agree mm. with you completely that, in my opinion, it was real. Because I when they wake up at the end of I it... I think it leads us nowhere. <laughs> because when, when they wake up at the end of it... It wasn't like they had this a different experience. When Rex says, you were going there for a moment, it's not like Anakin says, what are you talking about? And Ahsoka's like, you know, what are you talking about? They all sit and experience the same right. thing. Like it, it was, was a, a shared vision. It was a common dream. You know, yeah. and if so, who has the power to do a shared vision, you know? So either it's something so big and profound, either way, the weight of what they experienced is real and tangible. And they carry it forth into who they are as as characters in the movies that we know right, them right, from. Right, right, The effect is still the same. I mean, it's just like having a, a, a nightmare. You know, I said this on an episode mm. uh, on the last roundtable. You know, you have a nightmare, and you wake up, and your your heart's pounding, and you're, you might be sweating and whatever. It's real to you. It's real to you, but you're, yeah. you're in the comfort of your own bed. Nothing's changed. I mean, so I, I'm with you on that. It's just that I think that by just calling this whole thing a dream, you lose some of the profundity of... For one thing, the first Jedi that we actually see, or the first Force user that we see, disappear upon death. And I want to bring that up. I don't think it was a dream, because... I I don't believe it was either. Dreams within dreams. 
I mean, right. that's, that's why I made the point about that it's, it's, it doesn't matter that it's, a, that it's a, a spirit world because it's different but the same. So it's kind of one of those things where it has as much impact as we keep, you know, as we keep saying, but it's as real in terms of its effect on people and, and within the story, it, it carries as much weight. It's not like an illusion. Yeah. In visually well, it might wanna... be, but like... Well, it can't be a true, a true Star Wars vision quest because there was no blue paint on his nips. <laughs> You know what was the first tell for me was you know the trees actually looked like they were a frozen moment you know like lightning strikes I looked yeah. at them and I thought like all the trees just look like glowing lightning bolts that have hit the ground or something they reminded me the f- of the dead tree from Lord of the Rings where it was at on top of a uh, minus yeah. and and again I, you know especially in the second part of this trilogy I did see a lot of Lord of the Rings stuff now Kyle you know just to to jump off of talking about the force for just one second. Kyle brought up Obi-Wan rubbing his fingers through his hair or something. It got me thinking <laughs> something I wanted to bring up was yeah. the fact that we finally saw Anakin's hair move with the wind a little bit. <laughs> so we and I just want to say it made all the difference. How long have you been waiting for that, Jimmy? I've been waiting, what are we, in the middle of the third season? So I've been waiting two and a half seasons. <laughs> Not counting. You know what? The more Clone Wars army builder clones you, you buy, the more money they're going to have to give more hair movement <laughs> for Jimmy in season four. So support buying yeah. nine packs. Show your support for <laughs> How about they just, they just manufacture the Clone Wars hair dryer? And you know what I want to say about these episodes? We just had Toy Fair. We come out of Toy Fair, right? We've oh. just come off two of the greatest arcs in Clone Wars. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and what do they give us? Nothing. We got nothing out of Toy Fair. We didn't get a Savage. We didn't get a Night Sister. I didn't get Dooku in his pajamas. I didn't get the father. I didn't get the daughter turning into a griffin. They didn't give me worm, anything. Did, did we get a worm? Where yeah, we got a worm. We got a worm. We got. Did we get a worm? From 18 months ago. We got an 18 months with snakes. So they got to sync a little better. Clone Wars and Hasbro, like they should have a meeting and talk about what's coming up. Well, they can announce things. Now, hold on, hold on. In fairness, I'm in fairness. I mean, I, 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 some, some kids sitting in his bedroom going, oh, please release Barris O'Fay in a womb. In a womb. Please. I can't live without my worm figure. But these are, episodes are more than tangible and real they in a sense they are the force they're like these etched in time we're dealing with gods we're dealing with prophecies we're dealing with myth you know and i think that's what is so awesome is that they took a leap look at where we were like eight episodes ago and what we we're talking about and look oh. at what we're talking about tonight yeah huge um, difference you missed the politics already <laughs> is that no that's what's exciting is that they are <laughs> Taking these chances, and we also know David said everything after this is chronological, and that's an important thing because now we're going to see character. We always talked about this in this series, like, well, how do I know character growth? Like, we're thinking Ahsoka's character grows, grows in, like, say, an episode like Assassins, but then we're like, whoa, that happened nine months before. You know, so now we actually can say, here's the, this is an event right now. They've just thrown it down. We've got Night Sisters and this. How do these characters build? to what we know in Revenge of the Sith. And now they're going to do yeah. that. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. What, what is the effect of Obi-Wan having witnessed, and his memory was not erased of this, having witnessed Anakin's fall to the dark side? 
What, what's the effect there? Good question. Uh, I, I think he goes what does that to do the to their relationship? What does that do to their relationship, Kyle? Well, I think this is a very big thing. I think this is one of the factors why, you know, especially if you know the Revenge of the Sith novelization, there's a lot of reasons why Anakin isn't granted full master level, why he isn't granted ah, access to Kaiser. Yeah. And, I mean, Obi-Wan knows him better than anyone. Obi-Wan has got to be the person that, you know, I'm sure he's honest with everyone else. And there's a reason why Mace has true trepidation when it comes to handling Anakin. I think they know beyond, you know, his murdering of a Tuscan tribe and beyond the the things he does, you know, out of out of his obsession and love that he has these other things. This is one other thing that stacks up against Anakin going into Revenge of the Sith. And it's one other thing that Palpatine, why he's the ultimate villain is he plays that. He puts the the Jedi into positions where they can only be villains in Anakin's eyes. So when Anakin gets to the point where he says, the Jedi are the ones that let me down, the Jedi do let him down. He's not lying. He's not misguided in a lot of ways. And from his point of view, they have let him down because of what Obi-Wan and everyone knows about Anakin. And I wouldn't be surprised if this um, is something that plays into their decision to limit his keep, access. Keep in mind, and, keep in mind what, what the sun shows Anakin. None of that is a lie. That's all reality. And what Anakin takes away from that is the Jedi are the ones that will stand in the way of peace. Is that a lie? Um, no, well, he falls to the dark side twice chronologically here in this episode and then in Revenge of the Sith because he, he believes that the Jedi. To, yeah, but there's a truth to the way he presents it in a, with a dark side slant. Yes, those things happen, but obviously Anakin was not afforded the opportunity to make the choice like he is in these episodes in the framework of return revenge of the Sith. He is forced to do so out of manipulation and he makes a choice out of love here. He makes a willing choice. He makes a logic choice and he needed to make that choice in this moment here. So he could get to the point where he escaped it back to himself, where he then has this knowledge of it being still a Jedi, but with a knowledge of being the chosen one going into Revenge of the Sith so he could do that. And that still fits in the trajectory of what Qui-Gon was talking about, that you might have to take these missteps to... Not that he's actively talking about that, but Qui-Gon is the kind of guy who's saying, it's okay. Not that... I'm sure on a microcosmic level he would stop and be like, whoa, you're going to the dark side. Wait, hold on. Whereas you'd have Yoda and the Council being completely opposed to the idea of having to take that step back. See, that's what I was getting at. This is what I was trying to say. This is what I was trying to say to Jimmy earlier is that Qui-Gon and the father both understand that the only path at this point to balance in the galaxy is to let Anakin go. And that means letting him go, letting him fall, letting him murder, letting him pillage and destroy and do all of this so that he can arrive at that moment at the end of Return of the Jedi and bring balance. Anakin will not fulfill the prophecy and and claim his birthright as the chosen one unless he is in that precise position at that precise moment. Now look at the big macro. Look at what happens in this whole situation. Is Yoda, the Jedi, and everyone else on the quote-unquote good side are the people that are holding on to something because they want it to be the way it is. They're doing the holding on that Anakin is doing in Revenge of the Sith onto Padme and onto his way of seeing things. That's why on their level, they are the ones who 
they're the ones failing at that point because they're not letting go and giving in to the living force, which is what Qui-Gon is giving in to, which is complete acceptance of the force. When the father stands there and says, the will of the force will decide it. You know what I mean? But where does it end, Kyle? I mean, where does it end? I mean, are we talking about we talk about the living force? It's recognition that Anakin is. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Where does it end for somebody for for a Jedi like Qui Gon? Is it just roll over and let things happen? Just roll over, no fighting, no, no. I mean, I don't think Qui Gon rolls over. Qui Gon does everything he can does he can with his limited capacity to to find a way back, to have some type of saying guidance, to become Yoda and Obi-Wan's new master, to tell them that they need to give in to the living force, that the living force is the only way forward. That what I'm saying is, where does it end? This, I mean, I, mean I, 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 I agree with you about, about Qui-Gon's philosophy, but, my, but, but you know, he certainly doesn't accept the status quo when the Trade Federation um, uh, create their blockade around Abu in episode one. But then he doesn't see the future for the, you know, regarding that, does he? But so, that's, doesn't, well, that's, that doesn't pertain to to he hasn't a he hasn't met Anakin yet. He hasn't been presented with this this child. Oh, so you're saying the that's course. the game changer? That's yeah, the, game the game changer, changer for Qui Gon meeting Anakin. Sitting right in front of me is the chosen one. We've heard about this for thousands of years. I found him. This is him. You guys train him. No, we're not going to train him. Obi-Wan, no matter what, you need to train him. Trust me. I Everything that my life is built to, I understand that this is it. No matter what, no matter what so becomes Qui-Gon of it. So has to be, Qui-Gon has to be, it is and go with it. Qui-Gon has to be straddling the line between doing marching, marching to the orders of the Jedi Council and also his own personal philosophy of the Force, which is letting things, letting the Force guide you, letting the Force, uh, you know... <laughs> run its course <laughs> this rhyme in there but i mean essentially that's what you're saying is that qui-gon thinks that you should just get step out of the way and let things unfold as they as they should i i think who are you asking this to <laughs> i don't care <laughs> no Qui-Gon is what he's what he's saying here guys is it was his dying wish is basically no matter what that's not what i'm talking counsel- about that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about <laughs> When we see Qui-Gon through in his actions throughout episode one, I mean, if we were to take you, what you're saying is that Qui-Gon's philosophy is just to stay out of the way of everything. He's not just staying out of the way in episode one. It, no, he's not staying out of the Hold on, 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 hold on. Jimmy Mackey. Jimmy Mackey. I feel... Episode one specifically, in episode one... Qui-Gon Jinn is following the will of the force, the way that he hears it, the way those little midi-chlorians are buzzing in his ear. He's listening to them, and they are guiding him on what choices to make. He's not trying to take what the force is teaching him and trying to change it. He is going with the flow according to the will of the force. That's what Qui-Gon Jinn is all about. Anakin, on the other side of the coin, is the exact opposite. Anakin listens to the will of the force and says, no, I'm going to change that. And that's when he interferes with his fate. That's when he interferes with his future. And that's when he suffers. And that's when, but when he gets to the point in Return of the Jedi where he does finally come good again is the point where he says, my God, I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to give in to what I'm supposed to do here. This chain of thought everything that everyone said about me i am the chosen one i am supposed to balance and he does go with it he doesn't fight it anymore and that's what brings him back to good 
He stops fighting it. Exactly. The force put him in that position where it was him and Palpatine representing the dark side and his son representing the light. And so and he is the he is the balance right there. And he realizes the will of the force brought me to this moment and I have to act now. And he did. And that's how we brought balance to the force. And I think episode one, what you're talking about is what Qui-Gon does is it's not like he's saying, eh, let's just kick back, let the Trade Federation do what they want, let's let them blow up that. Hey, Obi-Wan, you take care of them all, I'm going to sit back. He doesn't do that. What he does, though, is says, look, when it comes to Anakin, it doesn't matter if there's an age limit on training someone. It doesn't matter what the council says. Who cares about a council? This is above them. They obviously aren't getting it. I'm, this has presented itself right in front of our eyes. And Obi-Wan, my dying wish is train him no matter what. Because this is it. And that, at that point, that's when he, everything coalesces in Qui-Gon's life and he realizes this is the direction it must go. And everything he does after that is to fight to find a way back into a vocal form, a force form where he can communicate back to them and show what he's learned and his insight. And Yoda even says in the audiobook and everything else, he says, you know, Qui-Gon's our new master and we're going to do what he yeah, says. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not disputing, I'm not disputing the wisdom of the great Qui-Gon Jinn. I'm just saying that it, it, at what point um, does, does, he, does he totally and completely surrender himself to this particular view of the Force? Because we do see him um, carrying out the orders of the Jedi Council in Episode 1. And what Jin, I think somebody mentioned it, I don't know if it was Kyle or Jimmy or Paul, um, said, but, but once, he moves, once he moves on, once he passes on into the netherworld of the Force, that's the moment when he is able to see the future. He's able to uh, understand at that moment the exact role that Anakin is to play. I don't think he really gets the role Anakin's going to play when he meets him as an eight-year-old. I think he knows he's the chosen one, but I don't think he's figured out that he's going to have to go through all of this experience, fall to the dark side, come back to the light, and destroy uh, evil as the, oh, yeah, uh, as the I, fulfillment I of that, the prophecy. But I think that's why seeing him pop up in these episodes shows that as a character, he's still present in the Star Wars universe, and he's learned, and now he has a greater understanding of what his initial instincts were. And now he can clarify them to Obi-Wan. And then again in Revenge of the Sith, during that time period when he reaches out to Yoda, he's again reinforcing his philosophy so they are at a point where they become the two in hiding and they wait for their opportunity and they have the patience and they will follow the living force and they know that a time will come and it'll present itself and so he grows as a character and that philosophy grows with him um but in the outset when he first meets anakin he knows okay he i don't know what's going to happen yet but we're gonna make sure that you are trained and we're gonna go with this and the yeah, council sitting there like, mm, no, you didn't get your, you got your card test right, but uh, you're the wrong age limit. You know, it's a technicality, and he's like, <laughs> almost incensed. And Obi Wan's standing there on a the balcony. He's like, you could be a master, and he's basically saying, I don't care. At that point, he realizes that everything that they stand for almost means nothing. He also knows that his own master has left the order and given up, so he senses something's changing that maybe no one else is, um, or he's just ahead of the curve. Uh, well, of course, he's going to go do what's right, and he's going to hunt down a Sith and kill him, and try to on Naboo. You know, he's not like, you know, he he still knows the difference between right and wrong. Um, so I don't think that's like there's a you know I know what you're saying about a threshold to what what the will of the Force is. Yeah, but he still has a certain sense of duty, and he's going to stick with it. But 
in this sense, like this, this supersedes everything. I have a you question. Guys. I have a question for you guys. And I want Jason to answer this first. And th- what got me thinking about this was when Kyle said that because of what Obi-Wan witnessed on Mortis, that could have come into play when the Jedi council was deciding whether or not Anakin should get the rank of master. My question is, we know how close Anakin is to Palpatine. He told Palpatine about slaughtering the Tuscans. He, um, yeah. I think he might have told Palpatine about his fear that Padme would die because Palpatine does bring it up in Revenge of the Sith. Um, that could have just been insight through the Force or it could have just been him using what Anakin has told him, using it against him. But do you think Anakin confided this experience to Palpatine? Yes! Hey, he okay, said me. He, he said me. My oh, turn. I'm just, I'm just speaking with the force right here. It's just flowing through me. <laughs> the will of the force affecting Kyle. I got demons running all through me. All right. Um, uh, yes, I think. Uh, yes, I think he definitely did. And quite honestly, anyway, this leads me to a, to another question, Jimmy. If that's the case, is there the same level of look? Mace and Obi-Wan, they realize, so does Yoda, that they're dealing with something that they don't really understand with Anakin Skywalker. They, 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 they can't put their finger on it. Obi-Wan probably has a better sense having gone through this experience. I think if, if, if he did, if Anakin did relay this to Palpatine, then Palpatine's going to have the same kind of trepidation. I don't think Palpatine fully trusts. I mean, we know that's not the Sith way anyway, but I don't think he fully trusts Anakin. Anakin is a device. Anakin is a tool. But I think even Palpatine is smart enough to realize that he's messing. He's playing with fire with Anakin Skywalker. He's dealing with the chosen one. That can't be lost on him. Yeah, but Palpatine, I I think, considers it his destiny to take the virgin birth that Kyle keeps bringing up, which – Palpatine sort of alludes to having pardon, <laughs> you know, he somehow manipulated the midi-chlorians to create life. Now, is he saying Darth Plagueis did it or is he using Plagueis as a metaphor when it really is him? Who knows? I think Palpatine believes it is his destiny to, to bring the chosen one under his, under his reign. So that's sort of, he's sort of following the will of the force too, the dark side will of the force. Yeah, he kind of plays the role that the son plays in this episode. Anakin is subservient to the son. Right. But look at how much look at how much trepidation. I mean, Palpatine, he has to wait for the exact time. There's one moment in his whole lifetime that he's going to get to approach Anakin about who he is and what their plan is. If he felt like he could just control him and had him wrapped around his finger and he wasn't dealing with the chosen one, the prophesized chosen one, he could have brought it up much earlier. He has to wait to this exact time when everything's coming to a head, when he knew he'd done everything he could to try and contain something that is so powerful, it's almost incomprehensible in the form of Anakin. Yeah, the, the Sith, the Sith is, they're all about manipulation and subterfuge and stealth. They don't ever want to show their hand. They don't ever. That's, that's against their nature. They, all, they keep it very close to their chest unless they know that they can use that truth to manipulate that's what the they all wear red tattoos, dude. They're not subtle. Not all of them. Like if we go by the EU, basically they dress up in a costume that says, I'm a damn Sith. 
So I'm just, <laughs> Again Palpatine with the is GD. a very unique and well-written example of, of a Sith, and he's also the most cunning of all. And that's why he's special, and that's why he's the chosen villain at such a critical point in a universe um, and its history. Like Palpatine's, yes, he, Palpatine he is like uh, Palpatine way. is like the mob boss that acts like he's some kind of uh, uh, you know mental patient or homeless man, but he's actually you know the, one of the most powerful people in the you know in the city or whatever. And and the other Sith that we see, particularly in the EU, they're like the John Gotti's. They go around, they're flashy. Everybody knows what they are. Palpatine's the smart one. He's the smart one. He doesn't flaunt it. He doesn't flash it. Not even after he's uh, turned into a you know a horrible creature. Although he does start to wear black robes then. He's so. the most refined culmination of Darth Bane's philosophy of two. I mean, it pinnacles with him. They had to build up to this point to create the perfect, cunning, subtle entity to plot uh-huh. the takeover. You know what I mean? You have to get past all that smiling and showing off your rotten teeth. Like every EU, that's what the Sith do. <laughs> they all do the same. That's why there's some great subtlety and drama to, to this and why I love these episodes because they add to this drama. Anakin, of course he went. Obi-Wan, of course he went and told the council. It, it's not even – we're not even guessing this, and, and I think, in the context of this episode. I think it's clear that that is a factor in why Anakin is li- granted limited status. I mean it's one of the many things now. That adds yeah. up into the character well, of Amazing. Uh, uh, Paul, I put, uh, and I'll bring and, things and down to, to Earth just a slightly as well. I mean, I, well, the one thing that always occurs to me about this about this show is I, re, I recall um, GL talking about uh, the prequel trilogy when it was first being developed. And one of the things that he, he sort of said repeatedly was that, that uh, one of the things that he wanted to do was make people feel and think differently about uh, a lot of the characters that they kind of uh, knew and loved. And that, that, you know, that he'd kind of recontextualize events and kind of make, make you look at things in a different way. And I think that <clears throat> one of the things that, that I, have, I have a problem with uh, when it comes to sort of watching any kind of entertainment, uh, I imagine it's a, a little, bit, little bit similar for you, Carl, which is that um, I can't kind of lose sight of the, the fact that it's a piece of dramatic entertainment. And in the end, the, the, most, the most exciting route to take when it comes to sort of creating really, you know, interesting stories is almost always the third path. It's always the, the, the option you don't expect is going to be the one that takes you into a story that's, that's most satisfying. And I think that when we talk about kind of, you know, uh, where, where um, Anakin's left by the time he gets to Return of the Jedi, I think that, that, that there are bound to be, you know, extra kind of turns and curves that we're not in anticipating even at this point. And that the, the biggest um, puzzle for me that, to come out of this episode rather than any of these questions was what the repercussions might be of using the daughter's energy to bring Ahsoka back to life because she's, she's gone through a really, really sort of significant mythological change there in terms of like she's literally been reborn. So, I mean, Ahsoka is not what she once was. I mean, now, now she's, you know, um, part daughter, if you like, you know, so who knows what, what effect that's going to have on her. And my, my feeling was, might she return um, to to the planet down the road in order to to be the future balance keeper and could it work out that that despite you know what we think we know about Return of the Jedi could it actually be Ahsoka that's keeping the balance um, behind the scenes because I, I mean we all know that a, she's she's not going to be around so I don't think the realm of Mortis exists once the father son and daughter moved on I think that that entire reality sort of imploded. And is you can no longer reach that area. You cannot no longer go there. The the 
the father and his children, they put themselves in exile in this place. And I believe because the father was so powerful in the force, he actually created this place. And when he died, Mortis died along with him. And you notice that I, I kind of think there's something to that because there's a there's also this crystal metaphor that amplified it that allowed the force to come through so Qui Gon could speak to them. Um, and, but also at the end, you see this crystal that kind of falls. He yeah. stops balancing it; it shatters, and that's the light. And visually, this whole this whole thing was triggered by light, like birth and death. You know, they always have these light metaphors. You're going into the white light, and then at the end, the white light again brings them back into this. Like this, uh, this universe, it, you know, was born and died when they came into it and left it. But I think that crystal exploding. I mean. Otherwise, why the hell they're putting all this stuff on StarWars.com and everything? Like, is implied Kyber Crystal or some type of thing like that? An amplifier. Oh, what, I'm sorry. What, what movie was that in, Kyra? What movie was that in the Kyber Crystal? The Kyber Crystal. Oh, it was in. Um, hey, it was nearly Pacific. an empire. <laughs> yeah, it was nearly for empire. It no, was no. nearly in everything, and then we got Kyber right. Darts, and it's in <laughs> Splinter of the Mind's Eye, and I think Sheral, the uh, the witch on the Ewok movie, was wearing Kyber <laughs> Crystal earrings. And <laughs> All right. don't forget, don't forget, the Kyber Crystal was in the Clone Wars at the beginning of season two in Holocron Heist. Hey, Ralph, Ralph designed it as canon. Right, right. It is. It is. I'm so just, here's I'm what just I'm kidding. just saying. It's some type of force amplification in the form of a crystal, which is something that George has been kind of exploring, what, since like 74? It was the MacGuffin in the original story. But I'm just saying, like, there, there, visually there was something to that because he was keeping this place in balance. And when he died, he was the architect of this realm of Mortis, whether or not it's a physical planet or but not. But then, I mean, that, isn't it kind of like made of the force, if you like? So, and if the force is everywhere, then this, this environment can just pop, pop up wherever it likes, right? Right, and I don't think we're going to leave tonight with an answer, and nor do I think we're ever going to get an answer, and nor do I need an answer. I think what makes Star Wars fun and the Force fun and these myths fun is that we we conjecture, and I think that's what they've given us a lot to conjecture. It's a great mystery, and I don't think we're ever going to get to the bottom of it. There's a lot of ways to interpret it, which is also what makes it extra powerful, and if you can write something that's open to levels of interpretation, then you're also doing something great, especially in half-hour animated television they've done something really really awesome here and i think it adds a whole other dimension to look at things and anybody that's complaining about it really needs to check their head because this is what we should we should be getting i'd rather have stories like this coming from george visually brought onto screen i'd like some toys to go with it hasbro but visually (laughs) brought onto screen so you can you can actually play with these kind of concepts that have been bounced around in, you know, Starlog magazine so on StarWars.com and in George's mm-hmm. annotated screenplays and it's all it's all been brought up. And I think the father himself is the ultimate gray character down to the color. I mean he's wears his muted colors. Mm-hmm. Even he has a triptych for a beard. It's like the center with you yeah. know balanced yeah. on each side. Right. And he doesn't act of the light and he doesn't necessarily act of the dark. Didn't he you, acts of didn't you think he was like didn't you think he was like the crusader at the end of um, The Last Crusade? As well, trying you know, looking for a replacement to take his a little bit. Know, I I thought that. Yeah, I actually thought then, that. Yeah, then, yeah, very much. And even the the business as well, where um, when you had the evil Ahsoka, it really reminded me of the evil Indian Temple of Doom. You know, when he drank the poison mm. stuff or whatever it was. Yeah, it was mean to short round. You remember that? Right. Well, so lots <laughs> lots of similarities with Raiders. You know, even with the. Now the original Raiders of Lost Ark was going to be about the Spear well, of Destiny rather than the Ark of the Covenant. Let's, and, 
yeah, I'm sorry, guys. We could rap about this forever. Let's 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 uh, wrap this up. Um, I do want to talk about this where we leave uh, all these characters at the end, and they all hear this. They all hear the confirmation coming from the father, and they're all there. They're all witness. You are the chosen one. You have brought balance to this place, and you will do it again for the galaxy. And then he says, but beware your heart. And I, in, the, in his, his death, very reminiscent of Yoda and Return of the Jedi, um, down to the, you know, the trailing off you know, before he, you know, he, he passes on, before he can totally get the last thought out. Um, what's got to be going through the heads of Ahsoka? I mean, we, we've talked ad nauseum about what's going through Anakin's head at this point, but what's going through the heads of Aunt Ahsoka and, uh, and Obi-Wan, Jimmy Mack? That's a great question. It, there's so many different ways to look at it. There's the, the, on one hand, you could say this was not a shared vision, but this is just something that went on in Anakin's head. That I don't really buy that one so much. I think that all three of them did share this experience. And I do believe that Ahsoka was killed and she's back from the dead. And she's better than ever. She can, work, she can fix the ship now. They killed her, and they brought her back, and now she's an expert mechanic. <laughs> she was wearing Hondo's yeah. uh, goggles, too, which I thought was kind of a cool look for her. I think uh, that Obi-Wan, you know, as, as we've been saying before, it's very possible that Obi-Wan uses this information against Anakin in the future and tells the Jedi Council about this, and this does weigh in their decision on whether or not to make Anakin a master. And as we all know, they don't. And when, when Billy D, or not Billy D, <laughs> I'm sorry, when Mace Windu <laughs> says you, you're not going to be a master, he denies Anakin the chance to become a master. You, you, they shoot a shot of Ewan McGregor, Obi-Wan, and he sort of smirks a little bit. Like, you know, he can't be because it's almost as if Obi-Wan knows what's going to happen to Anakin. I mean, imagine what was going through his mind when he got off that ship on Mustafar and looked around and he was like, oh, no, it's a lava planet. This is not good. So, um, but, but so Obi-Wan has to carry that. That's a yeah. burden for Obi-Wan. Right, right, Much right. like Anakin has to carry the burden of living through his destiny and actually living up to being the chosen one, as the prophecy says, yeah. Obi-Wan also has the burden of knowing what Anakin could become. I don't think Obi-Wan's 100% sold on the fact that that is future Anakin right there, but it, it had to, you know, like I said, when he got off that ship on Mustafar, it must have been like, oh, no. <laughs> Chosen one! <laughs> and then now, now we get to Ahsoka. How does this change Ahsoka? Ahsoka was brought back from the dead. Or was she? That's the question. How does this make Ahsoka grow? That is the biggest mystery of them all. Because, of course, we don't know what eventually happens to Ahsoka. So everything well, is new This her. this whole The whole moral of this story you know, goes back to Qui-Gon's The Living Force. And Qui-Gon is willing to to let Anakin fall to the dark side and go about his path so that he can come back and bring bring balance. You don't get in the way. And I think bringing back Ahsoka, I think Paul is really onto something here. I don't think 
that there are going to be uh, no consequences to that. There have got to be consequences to that because it's in direct violation to the whole moral of this story. Mm. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You you can't you can't fight your destiny. I, I just think that this is this this these episodes is, is too rife with you know um, stuff that is solid and well established and and real kind of Joseph Campbell territory in in terms of a lot of the stuff that they they reference you know has been has been seen countless times in lots and lots of mythologies and fairy tales. And and one of those things is the fact that Ahsoka goes through a, a kind of rebirth, whether she does die or not. You know that she's definitely changed by the experience. I would have thought. Paul, you know, Paul, you know that, it kind of reminds me of of, uh, of the character of Starbuck in the last season of Battlestar Galactica. In a way, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. What What is yeah. she after that point? After that moment, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, um, did I, you guys get all the Arthurians? What is she? She's a shark jumper. Yeah, totally. With the the you know the sword in the stone and the even the the father and son relationship is just like Arthur and Mordred and the fact that they both die in the same spear and all that kind of stuffs in there as well. Yeah, you, you know, I heard somebody commented on one of, one of the previous casts about the um, the weird Yoda and and said that it reminded them of Dobby in uh, Harry Potter. Something that occurred to me was that Dermot Power designed a lot of creatures for Star Wars. Now, I've got a suspicion that this might even be based upon one of those sketches. And Dermot right. actually designed Dobby. Yeah. So, it sure looks so that familiar. could be the connection. Yeah. It, Sorry? It does look familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, I've got a feeling that it might be a sketch that Dermot did for that. And, and Dermot designed Dobby for Harry Potter. So that could be why it looks similar. is because it, it may have even been designed by the same guy. my so much we could still say about this episode really good time really good time and and thank goodness the topic of conversation has changed when it comes to these clone wars roundtables no more poison snapple uh, no more convoluted political machinations we'll get to the heart the heart what Star Wars is all about, of course, the Force, and uh, appreciate Kyle's passion <laughs> as he gets. You don't have the toys, but le- at least you got this episode, Kyle. And and fear not, <laughs> fear not. I did hear on the collector's edition, uh, the Toy Fair report here at the Forcecast Network that there are Lego, there are Lego figures from season three. There's a Savage Press Lego figure, so the memo did get out at least to Lego. What's going on? All right, I'm going to tell you my final well, thoughts on this. I, I have bendums too. We can only hope. We can only hope. Because I really, I'm not, I'm not too caring about Lego toys. My toys are three and three quarter inches tall. <laughs> All right, here's my take on it. Like I said, I, I stole this from Kyle Newman, but I, but I ran, I ran with it. He threw it out there a couple nights ago for me. The son, the daughter, not real, totally manifestations of the father's own dark and light thoughts. I think it's backed up by the fact that the father appears immediately after the son disappears. And also the father says, I take your power as he rams the dagger of Mortis through himself, 
killing himself, thereby taking the power and taking the life of the son. Anakin finishes the job by clearly running them both through. You don't see that, but he's not going to just stop once he gets through the sun all the way through. I think I think they're all one. I think the only corporeal being on that planet was one solitary old man with the burden that he's now bestowed upon Anakin Skywalker. And I'll tell you, of all the things that we learned in these three episodes... There is no debate. Anakin is indeed the chosen one. And not only did he bring balance to Mortis, but he brought balance. He will bring balance to the galaxy in Return of the Jedi. So great, great stuff. Great episode. Kyle, I'm almost afraid to ask. <laughs> Anything we didn't get to? Mm-hmm. I'll talk to you no, I just love Jimmy's point about... <laughs> I love Jimmy's point about, you know, the light within the dark and the dark within the light. It was on her tomb. And I think that kind of answers the thing, like, the father says, I was hoping he would not embrace the dark side. And I was saying, well, he is the dark side. I think he just meant he should not have gone there completely. Um, I think visually, the lighting, the low angles, the stars, it was very consciously directed to visually have our heroes looking up to someone else, physically as well as intellectually forced to look up to these greater beings. Um, an interesting thing was Anakin says it'll bring balance or peace to the Clone War, an end to the Clone War, not the Clone Wars, although the show is called the Clone Wars. I want to know what it really is, because I've heard it several times and referred to as a Clone War in singular form. Uh, I thought it was interesting. If you notice, there was the Filoniism up in the constellations, the wolf in the sky. I think um, what I'm left believing is the mother is the Force itself. Um, if, if son and daughter are uh, force beings, then she's the one who carried them and produced them. I think father is as close to a physical being who will ever understand, you know, as close to having a physical being understanding the forces we're ever going to get. And even he's humbled by its immensity and struggling with it. And if he is, in fact, if it's two parts of his psyche battling it out, then even more so. Um, yes, Anakin's the chosen one. I think the big lingering question is how is he the chosen one? What role did Palpatine play? Season four, get on it. Season five, if that's what you guys are writing, we need answers. Palpatine's <laughs> the last thing that we don't have enough information on. Uh, felt like GL copped out a little bit in the prequels. We need a little more. Um, and I think, uh, you know, like, when it's, you know, son and daughter, where do they come from? Force babies? There's all, I, I just don't know. So there's a lot of great questions. I'm left with questions. I'm humbled by these episodes. Uh, I think it was great, and it was great talking with you guys about them. Awesome. Paul Bateman, what say you? Yes. Um, I, I say this is an amazing you know, um, story arc to, to, to jump into after all the political stuff and straight after the Savage trilogy. Um, it's really exciting that they're prepared to go this far and be this daring. Um, it's, great, it's great to see it sprinkled throughout with uh, lots of kind of cool designs. I noticed the bikes by Joe Johnston, and uh, I noticed that the uh, the dark side well was a lot like uh, Ralph's original paintings for the uh, uh, Mustafa, um, and th- th- that was a really nice to see see those those touches. Um, there were obviously kind of lots and lots of Mobius influences throughout. I know they've mentioned it on the official site and stuff. I don't think necessarily people realise quite how closely it resembles a, a lot of the stuff that was in a, a book by Mobius called the Incal uh, especially the place where um, uh, the, the whole yin yang kind of area that they, they had the big fight um, I think I think it, it asks more questions in it than it than it gives answers um, I'd love to see them do a similar kind of episode about Yoda um, that would be really interesting 
Um, but um, I'm much less interested in whether or not they were real than just, you know, seeing how it all pans out now and where, where it goes. So, fantastic episode. More like this. Jimmy Mack, you're up. Final thoughts. All right. Final thoughts. Holy Filoni. Ghosts of Mortis was a mind-blowing conclusion to the Mortis trilogy. And what I really liked about these episodes is the creative and daring way the series stepped way outside the box to present us with a unique exploration of the Force. I love the mysticism, the magic, and the foreshadowing that these episodes presented. The acting, wow, the acting, especially Sam Witwer, it was absolutely superb. And all the elements that make great Star Wars was represented visually, sonically, dramatically, and emotionally. I really liked these these three new characters, and I was quite satisfied with their fates, at least what we think their fates were. I hope this arc will be talked about and debated by Star Wars fans for years to come. The creators of The Clone Wars added a new wrinkle to our favorite saga, which only strengthens and complicates the mythology even more. And I think that's a good thing. It's not a bad idea to refresh in a a franchise after 33 plus years. And I look at the Mortis trilogy as a rebirth for Star Wars in many ways. Most of what we used to know and understand about the nature of the Force came from Yoda and Obi-Wan. But I welcome this new way of defining that mystical energy. It simply makes the concept more complex And quite honestly, a lot more fun, especially for this veteran Star Wars fan. I love these episodes because this was the thinking man Star Wars. And that is what makes great mythology great. The Clone Wars is on a roll. Nuke Gunray, not in this episode. Well, I'll tell you who's going to be in the next episode. Grand Moff Tarkin. (laughs) Yes. Governor Tarkin. I'm bored. <laughs> Can't wait for that. It's going to be so cool. I mean, it, according to Dave Filoni and the official Star Wars website, it's a return to the, well, the things that he loved about the saga when he was a kid. So it's a bit of a departure from the Mortis trilogy and the more heady episodes. And this is going to be some just good old fashioned Star Wars adventure. We get to see Carbon Freezing Chamber and Ugnaughts. Kyle's concerned. It's a little stereotypical, stereotyping the Ugnaughts that all they can do is run carbon freezing chambers. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just looking out for the Ugnaught, you know, union here. I, I, I think they're just, you know, we're putting the putting them in a box. I, I know think they can do more than that. Right. It it, it is. You know. And it, thank you. This message is brought to you by the Ugnaught Anti Defamation League. Yeah, they can do more than stand in for Porky Pig. <laughs> Maybe the Union, union is so tight nobody else is allowed to touch carbonite. <laughs> That's it for us, guys. We'll see you next week. We'll be talking about the Citadel. That's right, and the return of Grand Moff Tarkin, Governor Tarkin, as we know him here. Back to the Star Wars universe. Can't wait. What a great conversation. What a great episode. So much fun to wrap this up with you guys. Can't wait. I can hear. I can. I can just see the emails flowing into the. Forcecast inbox here, forcecast at forcecast.net, saying, you guys got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Anyway, we'll see you next time. Love you all so much. For Kyle Newman, Paul Bateman, the Clone Wars Roundtable, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember, the Force will be with you always.
This podcast is not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited or 20th Century Fox and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at www.starwars.com. Star Wars, all names and sounds of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of TheForce.net, LLC, unless otherwise indicated. 